this edition of Hoosology, we welcome back writer for Nets Daily, Chris Mulholland. Chris provides great insights regarding the Ben Simmons-James Harden trade. He explained how the future is bright for Simmons and how James will fit with his new Philly teammates. This is a great chat. Chris provided a lot of great insight in terms of the consequences for both teams. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Lose a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a member of the OTG Basketball Network and now enjoy our chat with Chris Mahollen. He is an NBA writer and reporter covering the Brooklyn Nets for Nets Daily. We welcome Chris Mahollen back onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Chris? Doing good, guys. How are you? Glad to be back on the show. Thank you for having me. And thanks for coming back onto the show in, in a quick fashion, <laughs> because I was aiming, I'll be honest, to have you on more in the springtime, but once all this news broke, I was like, there's only one guy to talk to about this, so um, yeah, I'm glad to be able been, to... It's been a wild couple weeks, though, so, yeah, so it's, it's been fun. It's been fun. I bet. So let's hop into it, and let's discuss this trade, and I want to point to a tweet that you recently put out. I think it was like a few minutes ago um, as we recorded this podcast. We are recording this mm-hmm. on February 15th, excuse me, a day after Valentine's Day. And I'll read it um, verbatim. It says, quote, Been watching film on Ben Simmons, a lot of film from the 2018-19 season, a season he noted in his press conference earlier today where he sees himself in a similar role with Brooklyn. And says, Dennis goes on to say, If the Nets can stay healthy, I can easily see Simmons have the best play of his career. So, Matt knows I've been highly down, highly negative on Ben Simmons. So I want to get your in- I want to get your insight as to how this is the best fit for Ben Simmons and kind of like the best case scenario for him succeeding in this new environment after what happened in Philadelphia. Yeah, most definitely. So like when I, so after the press conference, obviously, like I noted in that tweet, he mentioned when when someone asked about his role, saying, "Hey, how do you envision your role?" He immediately compared it to that season where he had Irsan Ilyasova, Marco Bellinelli, and a couple other star shooters. So that was in the era of the Sixers where they had a surplus of shooting, kind of similar to what you could kind of say with the Nets right now, but obviously health isn't on their side at that point. So uh, that immediately rang in my mind. I said, okay, well, I got to go watch this. You know, I got to really dive into this film and see how it rolls. And, you know, Steve Nash hinted on it before. Um, Ben did as well. He said, hey, with shooting, obviously, that's one of the, obviously, his major flaw in his game, but we don't need him to do that here. You know, because of the surplus shooting they have. Obviously, they have Seth Curry that just came a part of this deal as well. Then you got Joe Harris. Then you got a couple other shooters who are also around on the Nets, uh, more so in a role-playing role. So when you looked at Ben, especially when I dived into that film, you saw that he was heavily playmaking. So he obviously, in that type of offense too, the pace was high, and you really liked to push the ball in transition, really just played with a lot of pace and would kick it to shooters on the corner. So either he would play in the drop in some of those seasons, because in those early years too, if you guys do remember, especially at LSU too, he was taking some mid-range jump shots then, you know? So his his game was a lot of focus down there, more so than being that primary ball handler type of role that he's uh, really forged and adopted in, these, in the closing years in Philly. So when you really look at what the Nets have in the surplus, you could see the similarities, right? He's in the dunker spot, he can make, he can play make, he can push in transition, he's the pace, he can also rebound, finish at the rim, which they've been missing as well. So there's a lot of attributes that he really brings and this, this, the trade, the pieces in this trade shouldn't really be too surprising. Sean Marks is a very active GM when it comes to filling the holes on the roster. Obviously, 
uh, the biggest, I guess you could say, well, Sean didn't really land a big man until now for how many years you really want to count until you could even make the argument that you have a real big man since like the Brooke Lopez days. You know, obviously Jared Allen was in his beginning years and he really solidified that self, but he struggled physically. And obviously he hasn't made, he didn't make that leap that he was in. Like now he's in with Cleveland. So in the draft, you get to trace back to the draft. Sean Marks drafted all five of those players, different positions around the board, point guard, shooting guard, power forward center. So, you know, you have all those. And then this type of deal, like Sean said himself, you can never get enough shooting, especially in, a, in an offense and within a roster team that has so much space and gravity drawn to those major stars, right? So when you have a, a lineup with Katie and Kyrie both on the court, they're going to draw so much gravity, which leaves open shooters around. So you had so you had Seth in that equation, a healthy Joe Harris. Obviously, Joe Harris, his news doesn't sound too promising right now that he's going to make a return anytime soon because of the second ankle surgery that's been reported. But overall, it's kind of just put the whole bow on the whole thing. Ben's really going to thrive in this role. I really do think being that main facilitator, being kind of playing his game and not most importantly, not having pressure to really shoot the ball. You know, that's that's the major thing. So in saying that, Chris, I in my mind, I feel like it can go one of two ways. I think, mm-hmm. like you're mentioning, I think it's a great role from a basketball standpoint, from but also from on on the court. But off the court, I think with Durant and his demeanor, I feel like he can somewhat empathize with what Ben Simmons is going through in mm-hmm. terms of how much he's taken from the media. Durant's kind of in that same space in terms of, you know, certainly having his beef with fans and the media as well. Mm-hmm. How much of a mentor do you think Durant can be to Ben Simmons? And do you think this could cultivate a really positive relationship? Or do you think it can kind of go south if, you know, Ben is not necessarily, you know, if what we're hearing from Philadelphia is true in terms of not him not being this necessarily the hardest worker at times? Could that be kind of a reverse effect in terms of Durant souring on him? But I guess my question is overall, how do you see this relationship playing out in terms of that mentor kind of student role? Yeah, that's a good question. And the the first thing I'll bring up too is Ben's surrounded by a lot of connections here in Brooklyn, right? So Patty Mills, shortly after Ben Simmons was traded and the trade became official when the players and coaches were able to talk about it, Patty Mills said himself, he's known Ben since he was a child. And that's dating back to the Australia days. Patty even noted when that in that midst of that kind of holdout when the, 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 I guess you could say the mental health reports were coming out and there was a lot of pressure on him as well. He had his back then. So to have a familiar face, especially someone that you, he's known since he was a child, that's always helps out a scenery. Right. And then when he gets to the Kevin Durant part, and well, before I even dive into Kevin Durant, the Nets G league coach, Adam Caporni is an assistant coach on the Australia boomers. They didn't touch ties when Ben Simmons was in the AIS program growing up in youth basketball in Australia. But obviously there's a lot of continuity connections between the two, too. Then you hop off, obviously Sean Marks. He's from also in that area. He's from the New Zealand. So there's that connection director of medicine. There's a bunch of connections all across the board. If you really want to dive deep into the down under connections in Brooklyn to get Ben Simmons some familiar faces with, with Kevin Durant, it's interesting, right? Because obviously we know, and this is no knock to a lot of players in this era of basketball, but, you know, a lot of players compared to uh, recent eras of, like, as you say, 90s and 80s, they, 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 they don't really take criticism from media or the outside um, or outside fans and noises that well, especially if they're in a star platform. You know, when you're a star player, obviously you're going to have a lot of criticism. They're going to nitpick. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, there's a lot of people that are going to, pinpoint you and take you down for whatever wrongdoing you're doing, no matter how well you're going to produce on the court. Right. So with Ben Simmons and KD, KD, uh, well, once when Ben Simmons got traded a couple hours later, Ben explained to himself that Kevin Durant gave him a call 
And that was really encouraging to Ben right away. That that got him even more excited to get this chapter of his bat, the next chapter of his basketball career going. And obviously Ramon Shelburne, I believe, of ESPN even tweeted out that on that phone call, Ben Simmons was very emotional, thanking Kevin Durant as mostly kind of the, I guess you could say the staple of the Nets for giving him this opportunity, giving him this second chance to kind of start over and get that fresh air, fresh breath of air, right? So I guess really to just kind of put it all together, it's going to be one of those things where, yeah, the, the expectations are very high. Don't get me wrong. You know, Ben's joining a team that has their eyes set on a championship, you know, and obviously the Nets title window is closing and obviously the loss of Harden does hurt. It could end. But um, overall, even dating back to, well, even dating back to last night's win, Bruce Brown even said it himself, ever since the trade deadline did pass, the, the there's a different vibe going on in this locker room, right? There's more. There's more continuity. Everyone's happy. There's a thrill mood. Obviously, snapping an 11-game win streak is a win in itself. Now, obviously, bring up the mood, but you could tell that a lot of these players, especially when you're a big-time contender, too, they have um, names are all over the place. You know, Brooklyn had the biggest lights on them throughout the whole thing because they knew the James Harden the James Harden block blockbuster trade. That's going to move the needle in all categories across the trade deadline. Once that opened up, the floodgates opened up. So, yeah, guys like Bruce Brown, Nick Claxton, Joe Harris – kind of just the Javon Carter. You had the list kind of really go down of players that always had in the back of their mind saying, hey, past February 10th, I could be across the country for all I know. I could be in a new change of scenery. So with Ben, he got it, he got it, he's he's in a good place, I believe. He, he said it himself that he's in a good place physically and mentally. Steve Nash said it, uh, I believe, before yesterday's game as well, that he believes once Simmons cleared physically that he'll also be cleared mentally as, as well to play basketball. Chris, I want to follow up on that. And uh, yeah. in a recent Ramona Shelburne article to to bring her up again on uh, ESPN, you know, she was talking about mm-hmm. how still mentally it's been difficult. And and of course, at the time, he was still a 76er, no intention of playing there mm-hmm. again. Of course, that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. What is your sense of, I mean, you mentioned him being in a good place. Um, mm-hmm. What What is your sense of his current like motivations and, and current hunger? Mm-hmm. I mean, is this guy like really wanting to improve as a basketball player? Is it kind of getting these, these demons, uh, you know, exercising these demons, so to speak, that have been left over in Philadelphia? What, what is his motivation from what you're seeing and hearing? You know, I, at least I can tell you from what I've been, what we've been hearing. I can't tell you from a basketball standpoint, since obviously we haven't seen him on the court, you know, sure. but but based on what Simmons has said today, right? He like we like we asked him about like the three the, his free throw shooting. He said nonstop. Been working on that nonstop. It's a consistent basis. Simmons also explained how he's been working with his personal trainers and in one on two settings, three on three settings, four on four settings, and even just private drills focused on weightlifting and conditioning, and kind of just maintaining his basketball shape as well. And for a guy like Ben Simmons, you know, the biggest thing that caught me out of that press conference, which really ties into your question here, is when we asked about the Philly game, right? When when he was asked about the Philly game saying, hey, it's March 10th, it's a few weeks away, I don't, we don't want to obviously jump ahead and obviously have a ramp up that obviously anyone that knows the Nets, they don't put timetables on anything. So hmm. um, it'll be one of those things where, hey, it'll pop up questionable on an injury report and he's good to go, you know, unless someone else has it beforehand saying, hey, this is a date targeted for a return. But for Ben, for example, I think that he's he I think he just wants to prove people that he's just back and playing basketball and that his passion's there because he was really uh, he really broke down that how without playing basketball in an NBA setting and having that stripped away from him during that lockout. He really you could tell just based on his emotion that he's missed that. And then Mm -hmm. when you join a team, it's not like he's getting shipped off to a, a rebuilding team or a bottom half team 
where mm-hmm. the goals are more kind of individual based and let's just get, let's, let's aim for a first round exit. Let's aim for a second round exit. No, this is championship expectation. So like I, like I previously mentioned with the previous ties and the friendships, Patty Mills, obviously the highlighting with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I think he's going to be more motivated than ever to really prove it. And like I said too, uh, that just because of the Steve and especially with Steve Nash and how the Nets kind of run their offense with Simmons not having the need to shoot. And obviously you could you could trace back to the film in the Philly days. He had that responsibility to really score, you know, and hmm. and teams would obviously know exactly how to adjust and how to defend him, what defenders to throw at him, what coverage is, get the ball out of his hands early or force him into tough shot situations and really get him to the free throw line. I can imagine that's going to happen in Brooklyn. But the thing is that they're going to have a lot of more shooters around them and options and he'll be able to kind of more fully adjust rather than have that extra pressure on him. So overall, I really do think that he's, he's motivated. Uh, It's only, he's in the beginning stage of his ramp up. So um, time will tell exactly how on the court, but I can imagine he's going to make a big, big impression right away. Sure. I mean, if, if he's not motivated now uh, after the past, Mm -hmm. you know, six plus months, I I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what we'll do it either. Yeah. Um, I, I also wanted to ask you, you know, one of the, kind of questions Justin and I have had with each other in mm. like our own personal text messages is, you know, what is the effect of the media? I mean, the the mm-hmm. Philadelphia media, obviously, I mean, very passionate fan base for one thing, of course. Mm-hmm. Is he in a bigger microscope in New York or mm-hmm. in some ways, are there more distractions in that city? Do you think uh, there could potentially be, you know, less pressure or a little bit mm-hmm diverted attention i mean we justin Mm -hmm. asked about katie's mentorship obviously katie's Mm -hmm. gonna answer questions he i i think has shown to be a great teammate this year you know through uh the kyrie irving situation earlier this season i i felt he acted as a great teammate i have no reason to believe he won't do the same for ben simmons Mm -hmm. um but what are your thoughts on like philly versus new york media and and how that Mm -hmm. could tie into this whole thing you know, it's interesting because like when Ben Simmons opened up about obviously his struggles with mental health, you could tell right off the bat that he was kind of taking the high road and holding a lot in, you know, because when the beginning, if you guys even go back and trace back to when even just take a look at the whole 15, 16 minute press conference, he was he was on the edge of going into details and then he pulled back. And then he kind of went into smaller and smaller details as it went on. The answers got shorter. He didn't really elaborate so much. So you could tell he was holding it back. But the one thing he did say, though, it wasn't the media or the fan comments that really dictated the mental health struggles, kind of the arisen Mm -hmm. of those demons. He mostly kind of said that it was something that he's been he's been kind of battling before the even the game, the Eastern Conference semifinal against the Hawks happened before the the season even started. You know, there, there was something going on there that kind of hovered around his head. And obviously, as you can imagine, uh, with someone that's kind of going through that, when you have a passionate fit fan base like Philly, obviously we know like Philly, it's like New York. You either love them, you hate them, and you're obviously – if it could be one thing one week, and if a player does it completely opposite the next week, they're going to stick and live in that moment. It's very mm. a time-sensitive fan base, right? So I guess just overall with Simmons, it's – I think, I think he's going to have an equal amount of pressure in New York, you know, obviously, because you got to think about it here. The, New York is really starving for a championship here because mm-hmm. you, you really go back through all across sports. Yankees 2009, obviously Knicks, that, that we don't really need to really dive into that. 
And then, you know, just across the board, New York's really, really hungry for a championship. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of New Yorkers. If you walk down Times Square in Manhattan that are all Knicks fans, they don't want Brooklyn to see win. But I can imagine that if they did deliver that title, number one, obviously, Knicks fans would be going crazy. But the biggest thing is, at least the, the, there was a title delivered. And you don't. And mm-hmm. when you have a when you have an era with Katie and Kyrie, that, like I said before, that title, title window's closing. So he's definitely going to be under a microscope here. But I think overall... I think just because of the demands, the less of demands that he has, and that doesn't knock saying that, okay, he's not going to be a big part of the offense. He's going to be a huge part of the offense, but the but the lack of demand and the shooting aspect of it puts a little more pressure on him. I think he's going to be a little more comfortable in it. So he's going to be able to adjust better and really have kind of, at least in my opinion, a really strong stretch. Because I didn't want to say, hey, he's going to have the best season of his career because we don't know when this guy's going to return. The playoffs are right around the corner in April. I think that whenever he does return, which I would imagine it's going to be the first week of March, I would kind of pinpoint it there. I've always said before even the press conference, I think he'll return after the Philly game on March 10th. I think that was going to be a more ideal deadline. But um, just overall, I think to answer your question, I think he's going to have an equal amount of pressure here in Brooklyn, but at the same time, um, because of the less demands on shooting the ball and kind of being himself out there and the true basketball player he is in that type of Nets role, I think that'll loosen up the pressure for him and make him feel more comfortable. So what are the expectations for this team, Chris? Because mm-hmm. when this trade went down, I listened to this kind of the discussion on podcasts and then on Twitter, and there were some people just automatically declaring the Nets like as like the favorite to win the title again. I was mm-hmm. like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're eighth in the Eastern Conference now. Granted, I think they're seven games out. So basically, mm-hmm. they're, they're not completely out. Anything can happen. And yeah. at the top of the conference, I mean, even though I am a Chicago Bulls fan, I mean, no, no illusions that things can mm-hmm. go south in a hurry. Just to, you know, in terms of the teams on the top, you know, the Cavaliers, the Heat, they're not traditional powerhouses in the Eastern Conference. So, I guess mm-hmm. what I ask you is, what are the expectations for this team moving forward? I mean, in mm-hmm. terms of the fans in particular, I mean, are they? expecting this team to just put it together and just make a run towards the title mm-hmm. because I just think that's just really, I think, unrealistic expectations. Like you said, I mean, if we go off your return date of early March, I mean, you're right. The playoffs are right around the corner. That's extremely mm-hmm. unfair despite my own personal feelings about Ben Simmons. I think that's just yep. to expect this guy to be in shape, in playoff shape. And even if he fits perfectly within this lineup, I just think that's highly unrealistic, let alone with Kyrie in terms of his inconsistency, in terms of him playing games consistently. What are the, what are the expectations of this team, do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question because, uh, you know, it's every, everyone likes to downplay it and say, hey, the NBA is built on talent. But, you know, a big right behind that is continuity and cohesion, right? Sure. I, every team knows that because you look yeah. at the Suns from the bubble when they were in the bubble. Yep. You see how what continuity does. They don't need a big three trio to get mm-hmm. to where they were in the NBA finals, right? You look at other teams around the league as well. The Cavaliers, for example, although they added a lot of new pieces, they made a foundation built on continuity to get them to that point to get those extra pieces to really get going. For the Nets, you know, it's it's a familiar battle like last year, you know, because you got to think about it. When it, Kevin Durant went down in an identical time with hamstring tightness and obviously Irving, and then when you looked in the playoffs too, James Harden had a little bit of well, hamstring tightness going into the playoffs, missed a big stretch of games. Then obviously in game one of the series against the Bucks, he, he obviously tightened it up again, did not return. Well, he returned, but obviously he wasn't his fully self. So I, I kind of characterize it as like he didn't return. Then you look at Irving, his injuries went down. So it's going to be an identical expectation here. You know, it's, it's going to really come down to health. 
because as as like I said before, like you guys just mentioned, you know, if Simmons does come back in that first week of March, that gives you a little more, like a little wiggle room, just about really a month to get ready for game action. You know, the harder you slide down those those uh, Eastern Conference standings, the tougher the road is going to be to prolong in those playoffs. So obviously that does benefit the Nets a little bit with the, obviously the Kyrie Irving case with the vaccine mandates that there, there's, there's not going to be a real home court advantage there. But at the same time, with all these mandates being lifted, that's been the burning question overall. Is New York going to cave in and lift the mandates in order for him to play the home games? Because Irving made it clear as day multiple, on multiple occasions he's not going to get vaccinated. Yeah. So that's really the Nets' only hope for it to be real. So, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's just got to really play. There's a lot of factors that got to play in Brooklyn's favor. It's health. And obviously the Nets are in the good sp- a good stretch right now getting their health back. Lamar Zoldridge just returned back. After I think it was seven straight games, his last game was against the twenty on the 29th. Then obviously Nick Claxton, um, he had he had a little bit of hamstring tightness too. He's he's eligible to return. He's available, but Nash didn't play him last night against the Kings. And you got other guys as well. Like I said, Ben Simmons is there. Kate, Kevin Durant. We don't know what his timetable is. Um, yeah, obviously it's going to be after All Star break, considering they only have two games left till then. But you know, it's it's a lot of factors are going to have to play into this. Can can the Nets build that continuity with a playmaker like Simmons that's going to be very ball dominant, have that ball in his hands to facilitate? Is he going to know his teammates well enough by that stretch of games in the playoffs when the games really matter? Is Kevin Durant going to be healthy? Is Kyrie Irving? What's his status? Is he going to be full time or is he going to be part time? And then you just go down the list of rosters. Obviously, every player on this roster is very important in a different way. Lamarcus Aldridge, obviously, with the five centers adding depth at, with Andre Drummond's a big plus. But at the same time, Andre Drummond's got to build that continuity. Seth Curry, obviously, when this team gets very – when they're healthy, Seth Curry's obviously going to have a primary shooting role here. But obviously, if, if one of those guys goes down, a wing or a guard or their depth takes a hit, he's going to have to do more with the ball, kind of a similar thing to what we saw last night against the Kings in his 23-point debut. So, you know, it's it, a lot of factors are going to play into it. But, you know, the biggest thing is mostly can this team stay healthy. That's really going to dictate whether they get their first elusive championship or not. So I want to ask one more question. I'll pass it on to Matt. Uh, the James yeah. Harden part of this, I find mm-hmm. very interesting. And I've, there's mm-hmm. been all sorts of things about, like, his unhappiness, him just in terms of him wanting out. Where does this – how did this go south? Because I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. we had – when he joined the team and then there's the pandemic, I just feel like with all three of these guys, there was never given a chance to really give it a true shot to win the title. Mm-hmm. And I just – I don't know why there's such a – push just to trade him just so quickly it just came not out of the blue but i'm just shocked that it just it just happened and just mm-hmm. uh, cooler heads did not prevail and it was just an unwillingness to see how the season would play out so mm-hmm. as best you can can you kind of quickly summarize like what was the point in which there was no return in terms of in terms of them having to get rid of james harden because i just feel like there's a massive opportunity with this team to be one of the most dominant offenses in the NBA. And I just felt like with everything that's happened, that the, the rug got pulled on underneath them. And it was just all of a sudden, let's just trade James Harden. Can you just kind of go over a quick timeline in terms of where this went south? And overall, do you think this hurts James Harden's legacy overall? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, my first date on that timeline is obviously when he did not sign the contract extension in the offseason, right? So that Sean Marks made it very clear leading up to that, that the big three would be signed, sealed and delivered in his words by the time training camp starts. Right. So obviously as training camp start, Kevin Durant, the biggest domino out of them all fell. He signed the four year extension, obviously opted into his player option. So that gets effective after this year, after next year as well. So 
then you got to look at, then you got to go a little deeper. So obviously Kyrie Irving was with the guys at training camp in San Diego. Everything was good. They're building that continuity. Then the vaccine vaccination mandates hit, right? That Irving will note that Irving cannot be eligible to play in home games unless he's vaccinated. Or th at that point, we didn't know of Irving's vaccination status, right? At that point. So obviously it got out that, Hey, Irving is not eligible to play in these games. What's going on. Okay. Everyone, obviously, you know, if you put two and two together, obviously he's not vaccinated. He's not eligible. Right. So you kind of trace this all into a microscope James Harden came here to have a lesser load to what he had in Houston to give himself a best chance to win a championship. Right. So when you lose a guy like Kyrie Irving and, and at that point too, the nets, as you guys even know to yourself, they, they mostly exiled Irving from the group. They said, we, we only want full-time players here. We don't want part-time players. It's going to serve as a distraction. What, like, we don't want that a part of our group. Obviously, the Nets went back on their word and made them a, made him a, made him go under a part-time player because of the injuries that they were dealing with in that tough stretch. But that, 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 really, set, that really settled here because you got to also remember. And then, like I mentioned a little earlier, in December, I believe it was, that's when Irving started to really speak out about his vaccination status and whether he plans on getting vaccinated. And like I mentioned before, he, he was very, he was very, he stood strong on his stance. He said, I'm not getting vaccinated. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. At first it was, I'm going to take it a day at a time. And then obviously I think it was like a week and a half, two weeks later when, um, when he got pressed about it, um, he made it right there. He said, Hey, I'm fine with sticking my, my, my stance. I have a life outside of basketball. That's more important. Health's more important, you know, in his, in his opinions on that. So, and then at that point, you got to understand too, and you're James Harden's mind. Trade deadlines coming up, you know. Obviously, if you're not going to have Irving for the postseason or a majority of the postseason at home games, and obviously you guys know how series works, you have home court advantage or not, the games are split half and half, no matter what the series is. So you have that, you have that in your back pocket for for James. And then as time goes on, obviously, you know he had the hamstring tightness that reaggravated, and you know at that point um, he came back. And then at the, when, once he came back from the initial one, not the one that he just suffered that's prolonging in Philadelphia right now, the Nets were struggling. They couldn't get wins. They were, lock, they were lacking continuity. Obviously, Kevin Durant went down at that point with the MCL sprain. And before that, you know, even Kevin Durant, when James was out, Kevin Durant was leading a pack of rookies to a lot of wins, handfuls of wins. But when James came and Kevin Durant went down, it struggled. It really started mounting on this losing streak. And like, you know, with James, with someone that comes to Brooklyn, knowing that they want to win a championship that thinks this is the best spot to win a championship. At least that's what he said before, obviously today when he was in the, with the Sixers, you know, a lot weighed into that. And then that, like James admitted himself, he's in it played a role that Kyrie Irving's vaccination status definitely played a role. You know, there was no, there's no secret in that. He didn't have to say it, but you know, he said it when he was asked about it, he was honest about it. It played a role. So obviously you guys know too that there's a lot of thick ties in Philadelphia with James Harden, Daryl Moore, even all the way up to ownership, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see um, how, if there's any tampering involved in this, you know, because with tampering if an NBA team files for tampering, they, their identity doesn't get mostly um, un revealed. It goes under the, it goes under it. And then the NBA investigates it and see what's going on. And obviously with James was such magnitude behind the move, in, in quick time, and obviously Ramona Shelberg's excellent article on how the whole trade went down, the trade deadline. You can tell Daryl Morey was really pushing for this. He knew, oh, I can't wait. I, at first, it was Daryl Morey negotiated through the media. He, he wanted to gain leverage that way, putting out reports saying, hey, we're fine with waiting until the offseason. 
And then in, in, meanwhile, in Brooklyn, James was pushing his way out. He requested a trade and that was all going down too. So it was, it just wasn't going in Brooklyn's favor. They had to make the trade that they had to make. And when you look at the pieces, Ben, ben Simmons, obviously that's a great acquisition to get. Seth Curry provides you more shooting. And Andre Drummond gives you that that big man that can get on the boards, be it be an okay rim protector. You know, he hasn't been that all overall in his career as of late. But at the end of the day, he's a 28-year-old guy, and he has a lot of continuity with Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, and a couple other teammates on this team. So it's it's not it didn't surprise me at all that James wanted out. It honestly didn't surprise me, you know, because you could really sense, especially um with me being around and covering this team like day to day and seeing how everything evolves. And I'm one of those guys too that really kind of revisit quotes from a week ago or whatever the case is to really kind of make that timeline and make sure the continuity is there. And when, when the trade deadline was leading, uh, leading up, I was like, I knew it was going to come down to the final day because of the negotiations and the leverage games and all that. And, you know, in the final hours, uh, Sean Marks pulled it. He said, okay, let's do it. And that's, that's how it really went down. Wow. Do you think in hindsight, there is, Anything from the management side that they're maybe regretting about handling player relationships, anything like that? Or do you think this is really just uh, an issue of, I guess, you know, circumstance, all, all the things that you mentioned? I mean, is, mm-hmm. is there anything, uh, I, I mean, you know, going back several years, this Brooklyn Nets franchise has been so stable. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. what um, drew KD there. Uh, that, yeah. that was a big draw there. I mean, do you think there is... Uh, any way that they they kind of botched this big three situation or, like I said, just kind of issue of circumstance? You know, I think it's a mixture of both. I think it's a mixture of both because sure. with I think I think it's a little mixture of both here because obviously the circumstance is Kyrie Irving's status. Right. And obviously that's a personal choice. It's not it's not anything that he can't control or anything that's out of the nets. It's obviously out of the nets hands, but it comes down to solely a personal choice with personal consequences, any personal choice, it comes with consequences. Right. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you know, health just hasn't been on their side. If Kevin, the major question here is if Kevin Durant was healthy, right. And would would all of this went down, right. If he was healthy throughout the whole season, because you got to also remember, like I mentioned a little earlier ago, he was leading a pack of rookies, the four rookies to wins. You know, mm-hmm. so that could have kept James happy. But obviously there's a lot going on behind the scenes, like Shelburne reported. And obviously a lot came out like James spoke today about obviously Kyrie's vaccination status uh, playing out, how he's always had an eye on the Sixers, that the talent window and that the continuity of pieces. And I don't know if you want to take it as a shot, but even James said, too, he's like these, in Philadelphia, these are players that want to win. You know, that they want to win. <laughs> and, then, and then you can even trace back to even Bruce Brown. You know, Bruce Brown even said last night, I, I wrote about it actually, uh, well, late last night, like three in the morning Eastern time. But like Bruce was like, even said, like after a team bonding event in Miami, the vibe's been great after the trade deadline. Everyone's closer with each other. We're a lot more tighter. So you could tell there's there may have been a little rivet there as well in the locker room. So you don't know exactly how and everything played out breaking down the details, but you could tell that it wasn't clean leading up from from as early as I guess you could say in the first two weeks of December when they're in the first seat of the, the Eastern Conference. Shortly after that to February 10th trade deadline, you could tell that there was some type of riveting going on. Mm. Was there fracturing in, you know, the KD James Harden relationship? Because I guess that's the element of this that Mm -hmm. really surprises me is that KD with his power in the league with his, you know, past 
uh, stint in OKC with James Harden, I not influential enough to you know prevent him from wanting to leave Brooklyn. What what is the status of that relationship? Um, you know, moving forward, I mean, still still cordial. Um, how's that relationship going? I think that's something that's just got to tell. I think it's it's one of those things that it's 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 going to be a product showing. You're right. So obviously the infamous All Star Draft on TNT, right? When KD was like, you know what, I'm taking Rudy Gobert. And listen, obviously, when you looked at the team and they need size, if you want to make it a competitive basketball game, obviously he needed size, right? But it's an all-star game. I don't think he's thinking too much into it, right? So, mm-hmm. and at that point, you know, LeBron and the rest of the guys that were all leading up to it, that LeBron's like, okay, I'm going to make him sweat. If he was going to take James, I'm going to really make him sweat here and make him take him at the last pick or whatever the case is. So he played that out. And with KD too, and even in that in that series as well, He's uh, in that uh, television broadcast too. He said, I, "I like my brothers regardless. I, I don't. I don't." He kind of downplayed the issue, saying that, "Hey, everything's fine. James is his own man. He makes his decision." He even told us that uh, the media that in Miami as well that, "Hey, James is his own man. He makes his own decisions." Uh, he understood to like a uh, like a um, I guess you could say to an extent of his move and what like kind of just understood and respected his decision as a whole. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's really going to come down to on the court, you know, the mannerisms, the behaviors. Obviously, yeah. with the Nets and Sixers, you know, there is a rivalry here now. You can go back to in the 2019 playoffs of D'Angelo Russell and obviously the Jared Dudley infamous brawl with with uh, Benson, with uh, Joel Embiid, I want to call it a brawl, but a heavy scuffle that went to the stands as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously this brings up the magnitude. The first two games against the Sixers this season, Kevin Durant waves Joel Embiid off the Barkley Center floor. Then... I think literally a week and a half, two weeks later, Joel Embiid waves Kevin Durant off his floor. So there are some competitive, I want to call it obviously bad blood or anything, but it's competitive rivalry. Mm -hmm. And when you think about if you're an all-star player like Kevin Durant that says, Hey, I got, uh, you're, I'm one of the main reasons that you're here. You know, I, I, I wanted you to come here and win and you go over not only to a Western conference team, that's a division, you go to an Eastern conference team that's in your division, in your conference as, and one of the major two or three threats to get in their way of coming out of the East. You know, you could be friends all you want. I can imagine from a competitive standpoint, that's you, you quit on the guys, you know, you quit on the guys and, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows between them, but I could be completely wrong. You know, it's one of those things you got to see how it goes on the court and really goes down from there. Cause the biggest thing too, is I guess to add a theme into this answer, Kevin, since Kevin Durant's really returned from his Achilles injury and been a part of the Nets organization, he's been very grateful about just being able to play basketball again and making the money being able to. And obviously, he's not saying I'm not saying that um, Kevin was like, hey, like I make millions of dollars playing basketball. It's great. Like, no, he's doing something he loves and getting paid for it, you know, so he's been taking that high end, high road approach as well. Um, so it, that, that plays a factor in too. So you don't know exactly what it is, but like I said before, if you guys, if you like, you put yourself in their shoes, if you're an NBA contender and you're, you're one of your literally top two superstars decides to hop ship and go to a division rival, that's going to stand in your way of the East. If you guys make it to the, the Eastern conference final, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Harden, not as much of an, a motor as like mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook. So I don't think we get, uh, you know, the types of things that we saw between Russell Westbrook and KD in those rematches. Oh, uh, yeah. Not that those were all that explosive, but there, there was a little something. There, there was some chippiness in there. There was some chippiness. I don't think it'll get to that level. Yeah. But um, you, you never know. You know, when 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 Kevin Durant's a very competitive basketball player, we saw the the joyful competitiveness nature that the, he's playing with Joel Embiid. 
it'll be interesting to see what happens when Harden's in a Sixers uniform and them two are together. Absolutely. I got one more qu- question for you, Chris, that, uh, that I just have to ask on, on the other side of this trade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned the Harden connection in Philadelphia. What mm-hmm. I, I know you're covering the nets obviously, but, mm-hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on the new look 76ers with James Harden there, you know, assuming he can get to a decent level of, of health and performance there. I really like how they look, you know, I really like, and obviously that's a move you have to make, you know, because mm-hmm. with, with, with Joel Embiid, obviously with Ben Simmons and plus like you got, like, if you really want to put it in a, a microscope behind it, you traded James, you traded for James Harden for a player that did not want to play for you. And obviously losing Seth Curry was a big piece and obviously losing Andre Drummond, which kind of really hit their, their five depth as well. You know, that's a big piece to lose as well. But the Sixers, like Daryl Morey said in his press conference today, he kept the pieces that he wanted to keep. He kept Maxi, kept Matisse Thibel, and a couple other pieces that were thrown around the trade talks too. He was very vocal. He brought that up, brought that up on his own, you know? So when you look at the Sixers, right, they obviously have Maxi Harden. You got Joel Embiid. Obviously, Embiid and Harden, it's not like a, it's not going to be like a Clint Capella and Harden. It's not going to be like kind of in that role because obviously that's not Joel Embiid. Joel is one of those guys that needs the ball in his hands to really perform and perform at a high level. But obviously – um, when you add James Harden to that equation, the facilitating for those outside shooters, and you have kind of that balanced play on both ends of the ball with Matisse and a kind of a very active Philadelphia Sixers defensive team to pair with an acquisition like James Harden, who could really turn it on when obviously when healthy, he hasn't really show, he's shown glimpses of it this year where he could kind of turn on scoring the ball and flip the switch and go straight to a facilitator role. But at the same time, he's also a rebounder as well. Right. So, I really like the trade for them. You know, it's a trade that they had to make. If, if that roster currently stood how it was, you're, you're kind of wasting Joel Embiid's, uh, whether you want to call it final years, whether you want to call it that window of opportunity, the prime, whatever you however you want to characterize it. The Sixers knew, and Joel Embiid probably pushed forward too, saying, hey, I need some help here. If Simmons is not going to play, I do need some help. And obviously acquiring a player like James Harden, you could say what you want. You could say what, what his production has been like in Brooklyn, up and down, injuries, Whatever the case is, obviously conditioning, um, the overweight comments and how we showed up overweight. But overall, as you guys know better than anyone, the NBA is that one sport of change of scenery could really unlock a whole new player. That's absolutely true. Chris, we appreciate you coming on to the show. Really appreciate appreciate your insight as always. Please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find your work and then any other things you're working on as well for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, first, thank you so much, Matt and Justin, for having me on. Always a pleasure to talk some hoops with you guys. Always, always a fun time. Um, for, for me, you can follow me at Chris Mulholland SB on Twitter. Well, it's actually C Mulholland SB on Twitter. Uh, I write for NetsDaily.com. And um, outside of that, I also do a little bit of social media for uh, college basketball for the Naismith Trophy as well. And, um, yeah, kind of just letting the ball roll from here, see what happens. You know, in this field, you, don't, you never know what happens. You just got to keep compiling the work, you know? For sure. Chris, awesome chat. Thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. You guys have a good night, all right? You too. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys.